Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. Well, we are diving into Advent, and we've been through a fall where we've dealt with some heavy subjects, and we've asked you to wrestle with Scripture and to dive into it and to unpack it, to do some good theological work, some hermeneutical work. And so we wanted to kind of go into Advent recognizing that Advent in, in this season is already its own weightiness. There's already a lot of expectations put on us. There's a lot of planning that takes place. There's a lot of events to go to. And for some, there's a particular weightiness that comes with the holidays. For some, it might be the first holiday where they're without a loved one. Um, It might be a reminder that someone that has not with us for a a significant amount of time is still not with us. Um, And those have their own sense of weight to them. Sometimes it's the distance that we have between our family that the holidays just remind us of that distance and how hard that can be. And sometimes we're just forced into the same room with people we don't want to be in a room with. And that is its own level of difficulty. And so what we wanted to do, and I say we because my wife's aunt, Joretta Marshall, who spoke last spring, is going to be speaking on December 17th at the end of this series. And so she and I grabbed coffee together to plan this series out. Uh, We sat down for coffee and she looked across the table and she's like, so what are we doing for Advent? And I said, I don't know. That's why you're here. And she was like, oh. And I said, didn't you come with a thousand ideas? She's like, no, I didn't. I said, great. It's going to be a nice long coffee. And so we spoke for about two hours. And she was asking me questions like, what has your church been through? What have you been covering? How is, what's the tone of the church? Where are people at? And after I kind of explained where the fall was, she looked at me and she said, it sounds like your people may need just to take a big deep breath and to have some care because they've sounds like they've been dealing with a lot and going through a lot. And I said, 
I think that's a really good good way to approach this Advent. So we decided to call this an Advent of Care and to have four different ideas, ways of caring well for ourselves this Advent season. And so the first one is the practice of getting up for another day. Now, I don't expect that everybody in this room or that listens to the podcast is going to identify with whatever issue or struggle or tension or need for care that we identify in this series. You may hear this phrase, that you know, the practice of getting up for another day and say, I have no problem getting up every day. I have lots of reasons to get up every day. Getting up for another day, a new day, I love getting up for a new day. I grab a cup of coffee and I conquer the world. And that may be perfect. That's great. That's wonderful. We want to celebrate that with you. But there's a lot of us who getting up for another day and tackling it and trying to get after it and trying to face the challenges of it, it's not always as easy. You know, I was thinking about the, the idea of starting new things, whether it's a new Advent series or whether it's starting a new job or whether it's taking a test for the first time. I remember my son, they do these ACT prep tests now in eighth grade where they have you take the ACT just to find out how things are going. I mean, that's bonkers to me, like bonkers that an eighth grader is expected to take the ACT. What are you trying to do except for teach a kid how, how awful he is at math? Uh, but anyway, I digress, obviously. But there's a level of not wanting to get out of bed that morning when you're told you're going to be taking this really complicated test that high school juniors take and you're expected to take it as an eighth grader, you might not want to roll out of bed that morning. You might want to say, I have a tummy ache, dad, and my head hurts, and I think I threw up last night, and I, I think the dog sat on my arm and I can't feel it, and, and give all the excuses imaginable to not have to show up for that test that day. You know, the first day that you're going out and driving on your own, I know we have a few people that are learning how to drive and have just gotten their license. I would imagine that driving for the first time, as many of us, some of us were like super ready for it and we couldn't wait. And then others are a little bit hesitant about the responsibility of that, the weightiness of doing that for the first time. And sometimes some of us have experienced immense amounts of pain and grief and getting up for another day just doesn't seem like the thing we want to do. We just don't want to roll out of bed that day. We want to stay in the nice, comfortable sheets where it feels like the pain of the world isn't going to find us, and we want to just stay in that spot. And I get it. I get that that is sometimes what's necessary, and sometimes that's how we feel. And so what do we do? What do we do when it feels like the practice of getting up for another day doesn't seem possible? And how in the world does Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 21 have anything to do with that? Because I know some of you are like, that doesn't seem to be the Jesus birth story. And here's the, here's the plan for today, just let me lay it out. I got two really dorky things to tell you about, and then I got two application points at the end. Okay, so we're going to do the two dorky things first. So the first one is the way in which betrothal and marriage took place in the first century in the ancient Near East, especially in Israel at the time. The way that you went about it is that you were betrothed to another person. You were in basically engaged. You were put together by your families. And so Joseph and Mary were put together to be married to one another. And then they're in this in-between stage where they're not actually married yet, but they are together. And what happens is Joseph goes off 
to his family's house, and he's supposed to build an addition onto his family's house, basically another room on the house, so that he and Mary have somewhere to live together. So this is called the betrothal stage. And so now they are in this moment. They're, they're technically a couple. They're technically together. They're betrothed to one another. They're going to get married. And for all intents and purposes, they are together, and society would see them that way, but they are not yet together because Joseph isn't done building the room onto his father's house in order to bring Mary home. And so Joseph is off doing this separate thing away from Mary, and he's building this room, and then he's supposed to go back and get her and then bring her to their place to live for the rest of their lives. And that is when the marriage officially takes place and they consummate the marriage and they are together. And so they are not together, yet they're together, but she becomes pregnant. So you could imagine if your responsibility is to go back home and to build this new room onto the house, to build this addition because you are excited about bringing your bride home to live with you forever, and then suddenly she's pregnant, you might not want to get up the next morning. You might not want to roll out of bed because of the shame, the disgrace, the the cultural tension that exists. Now, The shame is really not on Joseph, even though he's probably feeling some anxiety and tension around this, but he recognizes that there is something going on here that he's not aware of, and he wants to quietly move past it if that's possible. And so he wants to do the respectful thing and to divorce Mary quietly. And so he's setting out to do so. And then he's met by this angel, and that tells him that something else is really going on here. And so point, so dorky thing number one is this whole first century betrothal idea and why Joseph found himself in this place of tension and wanting to divorce himself. The second thing that I want to point out is what the name Jesus is all about. Because part of what moves Joseph to get on board with this is that the angel says to him that Mary is, been, is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and he, she will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now remember when, we, when I first started out, we tackled this idea of sin because I know sin is a complicated and a hard word and sometimes it's an it's a immediate trigger and we kind of feel icky inside when we hear it. And I totally understand that it's been, it's been used to harm and to lash out at people and to like basically hurl the Bible at somebody and hit them over the head. And so I know that that's, that term can be a very difficult one for us. But ultimately what sin is, it's missing the mark. It's an archery term that we got it, you're aimed at the target and you want to hit the bullseye, but the arrow goes off, off track and it lands somewhere else that isn't the mark it was aimed at. And so sin is when we want to head in this direction, but we find ourselves going in a different direction. Or we know we should go in that direction, but then we choose to go over in this direction. So sin is when we're missing the mark. And the idea is that our trajectory is off and we need to get back on the path. We need to get back on the trajectory, the direction that brings about wholeness and justice and love and mercy. And so Jesus is coming onto the scene because Jesus will move people and bring people back to that healthy trajectory. But the name Jesus is actually significant here. It would actually have been a moment for for Joseph when he heard the name that he was to call this child. Now, we hear that name, and we don't think a whole lot of it. I mean, we actually, well, hang on, let me back up. We think a lot of it, right? We hear the name Jesus, and we're like, whoa, that name is like, I know one person called that unless I have friends that are Hispanic, and then I might hear the name Jesus, which is actually more in line with how we should understand Jesus' name. 
we actually should recognize that this was a common name at the time. The name Jesus was not something that Joseph would have been unfamiliar with because when you translate it into the Hebrew, it's the name Yeshua or Joshua. So the name Jesus is the same as the name Joshua. And the name Joshua was a common name, but the name Joshua was also an incredibly significant name. If you go back into the history of the people of Israel, we know that after Moses led the people through the wilderness for 40 years, they were on the precipice of going into the promised land, and Moses is about to pass away, and the mantle of leadership is passed on to Joshua. And Joshua becomes the one to lead them over the Jordan River, lead them into the promised land, lead them into the battles where they would be able to uh, conquer the promised land. And so Joshua is seen as the one who not only is a leader of the people, but some Someone who brings them into the fullness of their liberation. And so Joshua is seen as someone who saves the people, that Joshua is the one who leads them into a place of salvation, or what they thought their salvation was. The interesting thing is that the name Yeshua, the reason why it's one who saves, is because the Ye there is short for Yahweh. So when you translate the name Joshua, it's, it's, it's Yahweh saves. So Yahshua is, is save. So Shua is save. And then Yah is the Lord. So the Lord saves. If you reverse it to Shua, Yah, you get Hosea if you transliterate it. And so Hosea the prophet is also the name for Jesus, is also the same name. You also get the prophet Isaiah. And so you get Joshua, Isaiah, and Hosea. These are all the names associated with the name Jesus. And so I know that that was super dorky and complicated, but here's the point, is that when the angel says to Joseph, Mary is is pregnant from the Holy Spirit, and she's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, there would have been fireworks going off in his head. There would have been this explosion of information of, oh my goodness, this is a significant name. This is a name that we've been hearing about for generation upon generation upon generation, that the person that led us into the promised land, one of the prophets who warned us against going against the Lord, one of the prophets who called for us to be people of justice, this is the name that is being given to my son. This is the person being born to my wife. This is the person that I am now responsible for. So Joseph in this moment, though he wouldn't want to get out of bed that morning, when the angel shows up to him and tells him that he's going to have a baby boy named Jesus, there would have been an about face. There would have been a a burden put on him. And I don't mean burden in a bad way. I mean in this beautiful, responsible, like I now have a calling. I now have a purpose. I now know what my life is is all about. So here's the thing. I have not been visited by an angel, and I'm not sure of many people who have. So the relatability of this passage can be a little bit difficult, especially when we're talking about how is God meeting us in seasons of life where we just don't feel like getting up for another day. I think there's two ways of applying what we're reading here. The first is that Joseph now had an incredibly meaningful calling. He was given the responsibility of raising the Christ, raising Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. 
That is an incredibly meaningful calling. So application point number one for all of us, what is our meaningful calling? What are we here to do? Where's, what's the love and the justice and the hope and the, the forgiveness that we're to bring into the world? What's the calling that God has placed on our life? For some of us, it's the, it, it ties into our vocation. It's, it's a part of what we feel we do every single day of our lives, and it's, just, it's, a, it's the thing that we feel passionate about, and we spend time doing it. I know that Lori's mother, Jan, was a teacher, and that is such a magnificent calling, a meaningful calling to affect the lives of children on a daily basis. Not always one that you get out of bed for, because we all know how kids are, but also one that you get out of bed for, because we know how kids are. There's almost nothing more important than taking care of the little ones. So what's your meaningful calling? For some, it's not connected to your work. Work is work. It's what helps you do the meaningful calling. And so what is your meaningful calling in life? Who are the people that, you, that God is calling you to? Who are the lives that you are on this earth to be an example to, to help transform, to help expose a blind spot, to be in amongst, to be just an example to, because maybe words aren't what's needed. Maybe it's just the way you live your life in proximity to someone else. Where, what is your meaningful calling? The second thing is that I would imagine that Joseph, when hearing that Mary is pregnant, there's a level of, I don't want to get up the next day. But then when he finds out about who this child is and how it's coming into the world, and he feels this immense, you know, meaningful calling, and it's this weightiness. But then he stops and he just thinks and goes, oh my gosh, we're having a baby boy. We're having a little kid. And there's going to be all these small joys. There's going to be all these first moments, the first time that he says, you know, dada, the first time that he walks, the first time that he, he talks, the first time that he eats solid food. I don't think Jesus came out of the womb giving the Sermon on the Mount. And so I think there was all these really meaningful, small joys that Joseph was going to anticipate experiencing with his son. And so what are those small joys for you? And for every one of us, those small joys are going to be a little different. I, I tend to share probably too many of them with you when I talk about my dogs or my kids or, you know, whatever else it is that I got going on in life, playing basketball and watching my team. Small little joys of watching a student, watching a kid learn how to dribble and shoot, you know, walking the dog when the snow is falling in the morning. What are the small joys that help you to get out of bed the next day? And the reason why I wanted to talk about this as a part of our advent of care it's because it's so helpful for us to reflect on what is my meaningful calling? What's the big thing? And that can change over time. Our calling can shift sometimes. But what's that big thing that you're here to do? Have you found it? And there's times in life where that calling shifts from one thing to the next. So what's your meaningful calling? And then what are those small joys? Because here's the thing. We need you. We need you to practice getting up every day. We need you to practice getting up and meeting your calling, meeting it with energy, meeting it with passion, meeting it with all the energy that God has given you. And some days that's going to be harder than others. And so how can you grasp on to your meaningful calling? How can you find those small joys that in the midst of a hard week, a hard season, a hard life, a hard day, you might not be able to identify with the meaningful calling. You might be like, ah, I'm too cynical today to appreciate it. Okay. 
where can you find that small joy? Where can you find that small joy to get up and to meet that day and search for the small joys that it has to offer? Because I want to trust and believe that as we think about hope this Advent season, this idea that hope is on the horizon, that hope is a place and we're searching for it, we're longing for it, it's coming, and that we are needing to be there. We need to be with hope. And that hope is not just a feeling, it's not just a wish fulfillment, that hope is something real and tangible and it needs to come here now. The only way we're going to embrace hope, the only way we're going to get it here is if we embrace that meaningful calling and we find the small joys of life every single day. So let's do that together. Let's share those with one another so that we can keep getting up and doing the good work of bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God of meaningful callings and small joys, we're grateful for both. We're grateful for the big ways that you call us to impact your world, impact relationships, impact institutions and families and systems. God, you call us to such big things. Thank you for that. Thank you for the ways that we can use our life to make meaningful change, transformational change by the power of your spirit, that we get to participate in that. There's nothing, nothing better than feeling called to that. But God, it's also overwhelming at times. And sometimes life is just hard and it's hard to see the meaningful calling as worth going after or it's too much for that day. So God, we are grateful that you are a God of small joys, that you give us these glimpses of what's to come, these glimpses of heaven meeting earth, these glimpses of hope being real. May we embrace the small joys of life that move us to keep going. May we listen to other people's calling. May we hear other people's joys. May they rub off on us so we can rub off on others. Holy Spirit, make it true, make it real to live with passion. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So we have a few things going on this morning. Um, It is the beginning of Advent here at Peace, and so we're excited to celebrate. Uh, The decorating crew came in uh, before Thanksgiving and just did a marvelous job of setting up the sanctuary and the commons um, and outside and everything for this. And so um, kudos to Kita and the crew. Um, there's been, there was a, at least 15 or more people that were in here working really hard and then eating pizza really, really strongly as well. And so we had a really, they had a really good time and did a great job. So a few quick announcements uh, this morning. Advent dinner is a week earlier than it was last year. So it's coming up next Sunday. So December 3rd, At 5.30, we're going to be doing the Advent dinner, and we'll have basically uh, a short little half hour of appetizers, right? I was going to say hors d'oeuvres, but that sounded way too sophisticated for me. So we're going to do some appetizers for a little while, and then we'll have um, a catered meal from Kowalski's. Uh, I think we're going to do pasta this year, so it should be a really nice meal. Uh, And then John Kearns and Shelly and our own Steve Rubel are going to be here to put on about a 45-minute to an hour Christmas concert for us before. while we have some dessert. Just want to make a little announcement about Christmas Eve so that you can be planning your holidays well. Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year, so that kind of 
throws a little bit of a curveball our way as far as how we wanted to navigate it. So what we decided to do is to still have a 10 o'clock service um, like we normally would on a Sunday, but it's going to be a more family-oriented Christmas Eve service, kind of like we would normally do at 4 o'clock. So at 4 o'clock, we normally have a more kid-friendly, family-friendly um, Christmas Eve service. It's not that we get all heavy and dark or something at 9 o'clock. It's just that we, you know, don't have a kid's story. Um, but at 9 o'clock, we are going to do our carols and candles on Christmas Eve. And so plan for either 10 o'clock or 9 p.m. or feel free to come to both. We will be singing Silent Night at both of them, as is the Christmas Eve tradition. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.